Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Today, we will be talking with Brent Bromstrop with Top of the Lake Coffee Roasters in Northern Colorado. Top of the Lake Coffee is committed to providing the best coffee possible while treating their coffee farmers and their communities with equity and compassion. The vision for Top of the Lake Coffee Roasters was ignited during a visit to Guatemala in 2013 and discussions that surrounded great friendship and service in the community. Top of the Lake Coffee Roasters gives back to coffee-producing communities through a Greater Good initiative. For each pound of coffee sold, they donate funding and resources to be used in community development in San Juan Laguna, Guatemala, and the surrounding areas. They have also provided a low-interest loan for a business startup, bought a sewing machine for a single mom to support her young family, provided a necessary handrail for a local school to meet government compliance standards, purchased and planted trees to hold the soil in the crucial land surrounding the water source for San Juan Laguna, and bought trees for school children and their families. So I am super excited to introduce my guest today because we briefly met in passing, but we were both part of this incredible event that was put on by our friend, Asosima uh, Burnett. And I wanted to just introduce Brent and welcome him to the show. So welcome, Brent. Oh, thanks, Natalie. It, that was a great, very quick off-the-cuff meeting, and I'm really glad we're able to get together again. I am too. I'm too. And I know that we have taken some time to kind of, you know, reschedule what we wanted to do because of some things that are going on in the world right now, which we'll get to. But I want to focus on you right now. And I want to focus on, share with me your story of who you are. And we'll get to how it led to Top of the Lake Coffee Roasters right here in Northern Colorado. But I want you to start kind of from the beginning of what was your background and what, what were you doing before you started this coffee roasting company? Ah, yes. And, uh, you know, we'll have several hours involved in the decades I've been <laughs> alive, but I'll try to condense it. So I'm a Colorado native, grew up in Littleton, went to college in Seattle. And right after college, took a job. I was getting married, didn't know what I was going to do. So I was offered a job working with teenagers at a church and took it. And actually, that, that really uh, changed the trajectory of my life in a good way. I think I really loved you know, kind of mentoring and engaging teenagers about uh, life issues and, and faith issues. And from that determined, I, I decided to go to seminary, which I attended. And after graduating, I, I was involved in a church for about 35 years or so, either working with teenagers for the most part, but also pastoring a small church, a lot of different things in between. But that was kind of a primary like job vocational stuff that I did for much of my adult life, uh, following uh, just deciding to leave the pastoring thing, I owned a painting company for a while. just wanted to do something completely different. And that was really fun. It kind of a taste of business. I, I got a job with a local publishing company and worked in sales for a while, but kind of segued over to working with teenagers yet again, but doing um, like service, week-long service projects around the country, rebuilding houses and stuff for people that were that really needy for that. And out of that began to write 
a program that was used at those week-long service camps and then slowly began to do more international things, which kind of where kind of a spark was lit for me to to start working with Top of the Lake Coffee after a visit to Guatemala. So, so in a nutshell, that's what I did. That's that's incredible. So I'm really curious, going back to your college years, what did you what was your degree in? <laughs> that's a great question, because I've never once used it. But I I graduated with a degree in biology oh, and wow. loved natural things. Naturalist stuff really intrigues me, but I also you know, came to realize, I don't think I'm good in a lab. I'm not sure I'm good with scientific method necessarily. So that's kind of how my life kind of shifted to going, you know, I am good with teenagers. I love interacting with them. So that's kind of a shift that happened. Wow. And that in itself is an art and a skill mm. <laughs> as uh, I have one yes. uh, teenager. <laughs> and, uh, yes. and I've been a coach and I've been doing different things, a sports coach. And it's just, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, teachers, anybody that can work with teenagers, I applaud you because that, again, is in itself a skill and to have patience. And, you know, yes, it's, it's amazing because you get to shape them and you get to see their, their minds work, you know? So it sounds mm-hmm. like it's something that always kind of drew you back. And because you were a youth pastor, it sounds like there's something that was always giving you that little tug, right? That this is where your heart is. And even though you went into painting and you got to learn the business side of it, you still kind of went full circle and were able to work with teenagers again, but in a different light, in, in maybe business and service projects. So, so talk to me now about Guatemala, because this is kind of where it all started with Top of the Lake Coffee. So you were doing some service projects, right? Right. And I and my wife and I had led a couple of international experiences for groups in other countries. When my son-in-law, who was living with us at the time, our oldest daughter, and he are missionaries with our denomination, and he was leading trips probably for 20 years to this village in Guatemala, kept raving to me about it. And well, I was kind of at a break between responsibilities and he said, let's go. So he took me and I, I've never been so captivated by a culture, by a people, by the incredible biological richness that's in Guatemala. Like it just, it's, I just was almost blown away in the best of ways by that week long experience. The people that he introduced me to have become like genuine friends. And it's been this incredible journey about about six years ago is when he took me, maybe even seven now, that that just really started to stir something really deep inside of me, the connections that we made there. And out of that kind of came the idea for Top of the Lake Coffee. Wow. And, and talk to me a little bit more about that idea. What was going on? Okay. Well, as we kind of met people in the village, we just continued to hear one theme, and that is, you know, coffee is what makes this village go economically. And I visited a school. I have a friend that's on faculty there now who the school is really inexpensive, but it's a private school, maybe $2 a month to attend. But even just in talking to the faculty and some of the parents I met there, the economic realities of coffee, the rise and fall of the, you know, international index price of coffee, like really played heavily upon them as people that, you know, like either directly worked with coffee or indirectly 
benefited from the economic resources that came through the sale of copies. So we just determined like if we really wanted to engage and build relationships and see how we might become some kind of a partner with that community, we determined like coffee has to be it. It's a, it's a huge economic factor around the world, but it's one that doesn't play out well for the people who actually do all the work to grow and process the coffee. And we just want to try to do what, you know, begin to discover what we can do that might have leveled the field a little bit and, and sent some better resources back to them. So that's sort of the concept that we began with. What kinds of things did you come up with that could help this type of community and their economy out? Were you thinking about ways that um, you could source the coffee into the United States, you know, things like that for increase of sales? Or what were some of the things that you were thinking of that you yourself coming from painting and service projects could do to take this coffee or where they're growing it probably in Guatemala, right? And what could you do for them? What were some of your ideas? Yeah, well, to start with, they were all naive and pretty well, not well-founded, <laughs> but the ideas we had were, now wouldn't it be great to be able to buy coffee at, at multiple amounts of like what, the, what people normally get? Wouldn't it be great to buy coffee for a lot more and you know, reward them better and sell it up here and with the knowledge that we, we paid more for the coffee and people were benefiting and it was going to them in a, in a good way? that's a great idea. And we loved it. And as it turns out, it's slowly beginning to happen better for us. But to begin with, we quickly discovered that there are like five export licenses in all of Guatemala. And they control, really strongly control the pricing that farmers are paid, but also the export process. And we just couldn't work around it. Like we could buy small amounts and bring it back in our suitcase, like green coffee, but we couldn't we just couldn't, you know, get it out in any meaningful amounts. So that was a roadblock we ran into. And what morphed from that was I began to, to lead groups to go to Guatemala. I started developing kind of partnerships with uh, the primary one we have is with a women's weaving cooperative. There now are 36 women. There were 16 minimum women when we started, but we, we began to talk about like, okay, okay, what would be something practical? Like if Americans you know, who really don't know your culture well, and I'm one of those, like, how can we partner with you? What are ways that we might work together so that both of us gain, you know, friendships and relationships and understandings of each other and where your work is honored and where we, you know, where we might, you know, be able to fill in some gaps. And as we started talking with the leader of that women's cooperative, it, it became clear she, first of all, understood very well that what helps people best is not just giving them handouts and tossing money and use clothing and, you know, all kinds of freebies that, that often are what organizations try to do when they think they're helping an org- a, something in another country. It was more about creating opportunity. Their weaving that they do is phenomenal. So we, you know, we began to kind of talk with them. What's the one thing we could do to help you? And they said, well, bring us up to the United States and let us sell our stuff. So, you know, slowly we began to do things like that, all based around the idea that coffee can benefit the community. But this was sort of a sideways window into kind of feeding back into that economy in the town. So creating opportunities for textile people to sell their stuff up here was great. We've done some micro loans with business entrepreneurs there. So we we began to kind of 
you know, branch out from the original dream of let's pay more for our copy because it was impossible. But we began to see, wow, there's just so many great things that we can be involved in here that are simple, that honor all the people that are involved. And it's, it's not based on, let's just give a bunch of free things so we can feel better about ourselves. It's like, how do we invest ourselves? And what do we gain in relationship with the people there as well? So it became much more of a mutual relationship approach. And we're really, you know, that's just changed my life dramatically. Wow. And walked in so that. these are partnerships, right? And like with yes. the textiles, did you find that you, you also had, I don't know if this is the right word, like this government controlled or, or control of how much was let out of Guatemala out of the country with the textile part of it? Well, no, actually, we haven't run into that at all. It seems as if copy is the only thing that really is tightly controlled. That may not be 100% accurate, but from where I sit, that's what I see. And we've not had any trouble. Like the, we've now brought the leader of that cooperative to northern Colorado three times. She'll spend a week and uh, twice now of one of her partners has come as well. And we set up pop-up sales around northern Colorado in different places. And they do really very, very well. And you know, there's not been any, any you know, government involvement that has limited what they can do or how much they can bring. So that's been a really wonderful experience. And are there other people and organizations that you have found from the same area, from the same community that need this type of exposure and awareness as well besides the weaving and the coffee? Oh, yes, absolutely. One of the organizations we discovered is a, is a nonprofit within Guatemala. It's called Central Maya, and they're committed to providing therapy and support for people with disabilities. There are really no government programs that, that, really, that we can see that support families or individuals that have disabilities. For instance, you know, cut out curbs or anything like that for a person in a wheelchair. That's just not existent, at least in the village where we go. And so parents end up, if their child has difficulty with mobility, the parent usually just carries the child and the child doesn't get to do much because as they grow older, they're heavier, they're much more limited in, you know, what they can do. And this organization, Central Maya, um, provides physical therapy, uh, regardless of age, they, they create jobs, they run a, an organic restaurant in which graduates of their program grow the food organically, and then they, they have a chef that usually rotates in from somewhere in Europe. Their food is amazing, but everything is run by graduates of the program, people with differing levels of disabilities, but they have meaningful work, and the restaurant and the organization just really do a good job of creating jobs within the community for people that are disabled, and it's, it's really honoring and and, and grit and values uh, everyone at a high level. So we've loved that organization and have, you know, kind of tried to walk alongside them with different things, even something practical. Like I, I got an email, they knew I was coming and they said, um, Hey, could you grab a jogging stroller? We have a 12 year old who has spina bifida and they, she can't sit up straight and can't walk. And her parents, she's just too heavy for her parents to carry around anymore. So I, I bought a jogging stroller, took it, and it turns out, actually, she was too big for that stroller, but another uh, group that was coming heard about it. And in Loveland, there's actually a used equipment store that is adaptable, that has adaptability for people that 
that need it. So uh, someone that I know grabbed a used stroller that was perfect. It was like a $2,500 stroller that they bought for a couple hundred dollars and, and took it down. And now that girl and her family, she has so much more mobility. I, you know, I've seen her from afar and just watching her interact at therapy with her peers is just really wonderful. Like she's able to be present. Whereas before she basically just had to lay in a kind of a painful way at home, just didn't have anything to do. So that was a cool thing. Yeah. Because, Mm. you know, it's funny and I'm sure like you, it's just, it, it turned into something that was obviously more than just coffee. You know, here I am still yeah. reeling that they were growing all this coffee and then they weren't really, the people and the community there didn't know what to do with it, nor will it sounds like the country kind of let a lot of it out, but it started there. It ended up being, you know, a lot more. And I feel like every mm-hmm. single time you go back, you might learn about something else. Talk to me again, how it all circles back in, because you're still top of the lake coffee. So tell me where the name yeah. top of the lake comes from. And although you're supporting some of these other areas in the community that you're noticing, you're still also very focused on the coffee part. So tell me a little bit more, first of all, about where the name comes from. Oh, okay. I would say Top of the Lake comes from this Lake Atitlan, which is, in my opinion, the most beautiful lake in the world. It is high altitude, you know, maybe 6,000 feet. You see volcanoes around the lake. It's massive. It's about 1,000 feet deep. There are water taxis that go, you know, to all, several villages around the lake. It's, it's in the heart of Mayan country. So, on one side of the lake, there is a Mayan language called Cachiquel, which is spoken by quite a few people. And on the other side, the village we go to, which is San Juan La Laguna, um, they speak a very minor Mayan language called Sutuhil, and only three villages speak that. And like this lake, to me, is just this incredible microcosm of cultural diversity within you know, a broader context of this is the Mayan world, and these are people, indigenous people that have their their roots go super deep centuries you know if, if not millennia into this land and everything you see is marked by the beauty of the Mayan culture and then each one is specific like some on La Laguna the Sutuhil is a is a unique language and even the women's cooperative they're fighting hard to keep Mayan culture alive even as tourism starts to gear up there the Mayan culture, like they're trying to protect it. And this weaving piece that they do is very deep anchored into the Mayan culture. So that whole Lake Atitlan region is so captivating. And, and when I was thinking about what is the name we should call it, like for whatever reason, top of the lake came in mind. But the lake is always in the back of my mind, that Lake Atitlan, which is stunningly beautiful. Tell us what you do as a roasting company here in northern Colorado. We roast coffee. It, it, you know, that's kind of simple, but we, you know, we try to make it clear that we want to, we want to use the economics of coffee to benefit the people that don't receive even close to a fair amount for their labors. When I first went to Guatemala and talked to coffee uh, producers there, I was told that they get, if there's a dollar, you know, a world coffee dollar in Guatemala, the farmers get 6% or six, six cents on the dollar, 6%. So they, you know, work year round to produce coffee 
It's a lot of labor-intensive work. And when coffee harvest comes, everyone in the community is out picking coffee. It's all hand-picked, and it's on steep hillsides. Children are out with picnics with their family. I mean, it really is kind of a cool event for the families, but like it dominates everything, and they get six cents on the dollar. Eighty cents on the dollar comes up to the posters and the people that sell it which we always thought, you know, it's ironic and we don't begrudge this, but, you know, up here, a person can work in a coffee shop and actually pay their way through college. Whereas a coffee farmer who actually raises the coffee and does all the work, many of them can't afford to keep their kid in school, like in grade school. So it just seems like, wow, what a juxtaposition of opportunity that coffee creates. It's just that it's way out of balance. So that's part of what we try to do is we try to educate people about that and try very hard to, when we purchase green coffee, and again, we can't bring a whole lot yet directly, but, but we will. But right now, we purchase coffee that we try to vet the organization that raises the coffee and the importers that, from the states that, that distribute it. Good news in all of that is that around the world, people are starting to pay attention to the inequities and the economic injustice that coffee has been built upon and are starting to do something about it. So we're, we're part of kind of a newer movement and there's a lot of people doing it. We're grateful for that. We're not alone and unique by any stretch. But, you know, we want to roast coffee that's ethical. We want to ask people to pay uh, what is fair. We're not, we usually don't mess around with our price and go, well, if you, you know, we'll take a dollar off if you, you know, do this or that. Like I try to hold firm on the price because this is not money for me. It's money that goes back into Guatemala. So we're trying to be selective. We're trying to educate and provide you know, really good coffee. And that's what we're about. Um, that's, yeah, that's and, amazing. I had no idea. I mean, when, when people have a cup of coffee, I don't even think that uh-huh. they think about that. I mean, what you just went oh, into the whole yeah. ecosystem and how unbalanced it is. That's just incredible. Yeah, it is. Well, and you know, I, there's more developing stuff that I'll get into in a little bit, but I, I was just there uh, in Guatemala in February. And right before I went, to the village, I read a couple of articles that like, I think one was from the Washington Post. And it was one of the reasons why migrants are fleeing Guatemala has to do with coffee. The number one ethnic group that is stuck at the border in the immigration, you know, kind of web that's at, the, at our border, that number one group is from Guatemala. And the issue is the drop in worldwide coffee prices. Three years ago, the, the coffee price was well over $2 per pound. That was kind of the going rate around the world. And in 2019, it dropped to $0.89 cents or so. So like, what a massive drop, number one. Secondly, I didn't notice a, a drop in what I was paying for a coffee you know, up here, nor what people were selling it for. So the person that took this enormous drop were all the coffee producers in Guatemala. They... You know, again, they get minimal anyway. People are still making good money off of their coffee, but the farmer gets less and less every year. And so a lot of them are giving up and just going, I, I don't know what to do. In fact, I met with a, a coffee farmer who produces certified organic coffee. It, it's good coffee and it works. It takes a lot of work to get organic coffee produced. And he now, the only option he has, because this is sort of a government coffee control thing, he can only sell it to a large cooperative in his town, and he, get, he sells it when the coffee is in a cherry, which, you know, that's the early stages of coffee development. But he sells it for 15 cents a pound to the local cooperative, 
which, you know, there's still a lot to be done with it. So like it's, it's sort of in a raw state, but 15 cents a pound where you work year round, you spend money on the right kind of uh, organic supports for your, your plants. Uh, it takes a lot more effort and he gets 15 cents a pound. It's not it's like he's going, it's not worth it. I can't, you wow. know, I can't even feed my family on that little. It's just insane. So like that, that is sort of the backstory that is now kind of shaping a lot of the cultures that grow coffee around the world. You know, there's more and more producers like uh, China and Vietnam are now producing coffee, which is great. But what happens is that the price just drops dramatically. So there, there's some real dangerous things that are happening out there that are driving immigration, they're driving poverty and other social issues in not only Guatemala, but parts of Mexico and, and, and you know, further south from Guatemala. It's, it's a huge challenge. So that kind of stuff is partly our job to try to educate, but also we've come up with something that I think is, is actually doing what I'd always hoped to do from the very beginning. And I'm really excited to, to talk to you about that as well. Oh, share. Right I'm, I'm actually really interested to, to find out about how people, I know that you said you roast the coffee here, but how yes. do people support you? And I mean, do you have a brick and mortar here or is it, you know, by word of mouth? I know that you had supplied the coffee for the event that we were both at. So first, oh, sure. before you kind of get into some of the really cool things that you're doing, maybe share with my listeners how people actually support you. I tend to get really pumped up about the things that are happening in Guatemala and, and not neglect, but not talk as much about that piece. We, we have a website, like we don't have a more like a brick and mortar store. We sell online and we have customers, you know, kind of around the country, but we also have like a, a, some restaurants and bakeries and a coffee shop at a college in Ohio, different places that buy our coffee wholesale um, because they really believe in kind of the justice piece that, that we're giving back to and feel a connection to that. Our churches that serve our coffee. So right now, probably, you know, 80%, at least of our business is wholesale to various places that serve our coffee. And there are groups also that, that do fundraising, like we'll, you know, work with them. We want to have a generous impact up and down the system. So, you know, we set up our coffee so that groups can make a pretty good amount of money by selling our coffee. We still are able to do what we what we want to do in Guatemala based on the wholesale price that they pay. And so those are some of the ways that people can support us. Our website is topofthelightcoffee.com and people have subscriptions that they'll get from us that they can get shipped automatically once a month or twice a month. So those are those are kind of the primary ways um, that we get our coffee out to the public. The American Red Cross urgently needs blood and platelet donations and asks all healthy donors to schedule an appointment to give now. With the coronavirus outbreak, it is important to maintain a sufficient blood supply. Your blood donation is critical and can help save lives. Please schedule an appointment today. Download the blood donor app, visit redcrossblood.org, or call 1-800-RED-CROSS today. You can make a difference.
I'm excited about Guatemala. I'm excited about what you guys are doing because it is something about social justice, right? And mm -hmm. I, I love that. And I love that backstory. So thank you for kind of giving me a little bit more insight into what you're doing. But tell me, even in our world right now, what we're going through, everybody, right? With, mm -hmm. with COVID-19, with social distancing. Oh, yeah. I, I'm thinking about mm -hmm. how are you still able to get product and supplies and what's going on now? I mean, everybody's had to shift their businesses. So especially for right. someone like you, how have you had to shift through all of this and what's going on now? I think the most exciting and surprising uh, events have unfolded like within the last month. One of the one of the organizations we found in Guatemala that we just love is is a group called Ethical Fashion Guatemala. The head of that a man named James Dillon has worked tirelessly, first of all, to do to protect artisans in Guatemala and their products. They filed some copyright in the World Trade Organization, so he's protecting people from going down there, ripping, you know, like paying minimally for weaving, coming up and selling it on Etsy. Like, they're, you know, like the wrong people are making money, which often happens. So he's working hard to protect the artisans, but also set up, he's worked tirelessly with DHL, the shipping company, that now DHL will ship direct from Guatemala to anywhere in the world where they have shipping stations, including the United States. So what recently has happened is, Ethical Fashion and an organization called Mayan Families, which is a nonprofit working with education in Guatemala, they've kind of teamed up to find artisans to make medical masks. So the, the people that typically are weaving, tourism has completely died. There's just no movement. There's no transportation. But the, the people that weave can make these medical masks. And we've joined forces with them to sell those masks on our website. And they can ship anywhere. So they're selling them for $5 a piece, 100 uh, is the minimum you can get, but they'll ship, you know, packets of medical masks anywhere that they're needed and they're double pleated and they're, you know, very well made. That's part of what's happening now is like medical masks are being sent from these weavers directly to people. And we have those on our website and are promoting that. But beyond that, even the James Dillon and Ethical Fashion have set it up for us to ship coffee. And we decided to jump all in. We are actually, we've asked three farmers in the town, San Laguna, where we go. One's named Chacho, one's Zaqueo, and one's Marco. We've asked them to roast their coffee. So Harvest just came in, they've, they've roasted their coffee, and we are selling their roasted coffee that goes from their little shop where they, they bag the coffee, they, get to, they send it to DHL, DHL will deliver it to the person who bought it. They, they will deliver it directly to them. So I don't even touch the coffee, we are just simply selling their product on our website wow. and they're, they're just thrilled. In fact, we, I just sent out 20 bags today through that process and there'll be more. It's just really a thrill to watch these guys uh, come to life. One of them said to me, because we are now selling our coffee like this, I am now able to rehire some of the workers that I had helping me with harvest and coffee processing. We had shut wow. everything down until you came along and said, will you sell your roasted coffee? So, and it's a simple thing. It's not giant at all. It's just, just making the connection, which I'm not good at any of the details, but I can make the connection. And that's making such a huge difference for these three farmers. And it, and it ripples out to the rest of the community. I mean, it's, it's impacting them. So those two pieces, the medical mass and selling roasted coffee directly from farmers is just such an amazing thing. I'm just so grateful to be a part of that. And 
and really to get these guys' products to market. It's an opportunity for them. And I'm happy well, to do and that. And what a great shift too, because most people mm. are worried about their jobs and about mm. the shift in their paychecks or trying to get this economic stimulus plan or whatever it is. I feel like it's with the quick snap of your fingers. It was like, hey, we've got a platform. It's already set up. If we can just go direct, we can use a shipping company that is now able to do this. Let's make this happen. And it just happened overnight. You know, I can hear it in, in the excitement of your voice. It, it's incredible to to hear this positivity, especially during this time where there's so many people, when you're not getting paid for something that you're doing, right? It's, it's very right. demeaning. And all yeah. of a sudden, you're not only just making the sale, but you're giving them the confidence and you're giving them this, this boost in, in the community, even though you're not even there physically. And, and that's amazing. That's mm-hmm. incredible. And it all comes down. It's exactly like what you said. It all comes back down to just this simple connection, which is what you do, which Mm. is incredible. So thank you for sharing about those because I think that's great. I always like to ask this question to two of my guests of if you've had any fun or favorite experiences and stories while you've grown this business. And there's got to be some maybe fun stories or something that just touches your heart. You know, have you had anything like that with anybody that you've come into contact with during this time? Oh, absolutely. In fact, when I am there, it feels like every day is packed with that kind of an experience. Just really, I don't think I've ever been around a culture or a community that was so embracing and friendly and kind and peaceful. I, I don't deserve like friendship that I feel like I'm being given there. I, I'm not good with Spanish. I, you know, my son-in-law is fluent in English and Spanish. He does most of the communicating. I stumble along, but I, I have a sense that, that there's a, a genuine, you know, kind of growing sort of a family feel in relationships with people. And I would say probably my, my favorite, um, my favorite context is when the two women leaders from the Women's Weaving Cooperative, they, they, when they come up here, they stay at our house. They're curious. They want to learn how to use like the washing machine and, and the dishwasher and how to use the vacuum cleaner, like things that are really alien to, the, to their culture and their life. They feel like daughters to me. They are, I'm just so very fond of them. And I am learning so many you know, like key relational pieces from them. They are super smart. One of them speaks five languages. I Like I can do English sort of, but I don't do it real well. Like she does five languages. In the village, everyone that speaks Spanish, that's their second language. If you speak English with them, that's their third language. And they're just brilliant and so engaging and kind. So these two women, you know, I really made this, like for me, very meaningful. So they stay here. And when we go visit there, they'll have us in their home for meals. And, you know, we're coming to know their families and the, the sense of community is, is great. And it's, it's not because I'm giving them a bunch of money. I'm not like there's mutual work and benefit that comes, but it's not because I'm writing a check or taking cash and throwing it around. We are figuring out how to do things together in a way that is honoring to them. Every time I'm with them, that's my favorite piece. Yeah. And it um, sounds like it. But, it sounds yeah. like it's just a, a big family feel. But you said you're not giving them money, but we, what you are giving them is the belief, the confidence, mm. and then an opportunity. You know, all people need is yeah. an opportunity, right? Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they and they step into that opportunity well. I mean, their products are gloriously beautiful. They're well made. It's all hand done from the cotton to the thread to the dyes to the pattern to the finished product. They it's just beautiful work. And they, you know, they their stuff sells well not because people pity them, but because they love what they see and how it looks and feels. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just feels right. Like the, you know, the, the only thing they were missing was a chance to sell it on a broader context and you know just it's it's a simple matter like it doesn't hurt us at all to have them stay at our house and we are so much richer because we know them and and they're adding so much to my life through that friendship so it's just this incredible thing and I'm yes I'm just so grateful to have a chance to be involved in it so going back to how can an individual that's listening to this, how can they help you? You know, you've got the coffee that sells mostly wholesale and you've got, mm-hmm. you know, the medical masks, which are great, but again, you've got to buy them in the 500s, you know, so it's mostly for yeah, clinics yeah. and hospitals, right? That need it. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you know, where, where I met you at an event, which, you know, are mm-hmm. very few and far between right now anyway, where you can probably be hired to supply the coffee. What can an individual, do to help support all the efforts that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, one very obvious thing, and it doesn't work for everybody, is just to buy our coffee. But like, not everybody drinks coffee, or they don't like Guatemalan coffee. That's all understandable. But I think there's other things. One is advocate for us. You know, I've, I've created some ads in social media about the roasted coffee we're selling. And, you know, people from California and New York and Chicago, like our people are buying it based on what they see on Facebook. So even, you know, liking our Facebook page or our Instagram page and then being willing to share it just to help get the word out is like super helpful and meaningful. And over time, I'll have a much better process of communicating through blog posts, but even just joining and listening and getting educated and kind of beginning to advocate maybe not even specifically for what we're doing, but beginning to advocate for people that do not have opportunities like we do, like maybe the learning and sitting down and talking with me and interacting with me in one way or another and beginning to think about when is, what can I do? Do I have a relative or someone that knows someone in another country and they have artisan goods that are just gloriously beautiful? What can I do to help get that, create an opportunity for them? So, the broader context is join me in a movement of people that are paying attention to, you know, what happens with our money and what it does when we, you know, demand the cheapest price possible, what it does to the person on the end that creates it. Like just being aware of the consequences of our, of our buying practices and our lifestyles and, and begin to be educated about that and begin to advocate for people that are hidden from our view for one reason or another and create an opportunity. So to me, like that would be the greatest thing is people Perfect. being inspired and kind of thinking to prove things for themselves. One of my last questions that I always like to ask too is you have a wealth of knowledge and experience and what would be one piece of advice you might be able to share with yeah. my listeners on just making the world a better place, just one person at a time? You've already said it. Like one person at a time is I think the key. I, I grew up in Littleton in a very monocultural model. We were all the same, you know, socioeconomic, no ethnicity differences generally. And I was so unaware of how the world works for people 
that don't share my ethnicity or my culture. I just uh, paid no attention. And as this, my, my, I just began to have a change in perspective and heart through my son-in-law, who's from Mexico, who taught me some of the challenges that he's faced when he lived here. You know, just some subtle things that I was completely unaware of and paid no attention to. So as his story began to take hold, I began to pay attention to other people's story and began to recognize that despite the fact that I don't communicate real well in Spanish, there's, there's a possibility that I can, I can have a deep, meaningful relationship with other people, even through language barriers. Like I, there's a closeness that came because it's, I, I've begun to see it as person to person. And, and we say we, we make our copy personal we want people to see a face when they drink coffee. I want someone to be able to say, hey, this is the farmer that raised it. And my purchase made a difference for that. It made a difference for him and his family and even the whole community. Like when we, like when we take it down to a smaller person-to-person thing, it gets a lot of our prejudices and our misconceptions and our lack of awareness. All those things get kind of taken away. And we begin to see him as like anyone, as, as a real person. And that could even be a neighbor here. But, you know, like it does start with, like, I, I want to know and value that person. And it doesn't cost us a thing to pay attention and to listen and to begin to dream about ways that we might connect that, that value somebody and something that they do. So that's a long answer. No, I absolutely love it. I am just right there with you. It all starts with one person. It all starts with opening your eyes being able to look at people and accept them and understand where they're coming from and what they want to focus on and appreciate that everybody is so different. And I love how you explained it starting from just growing up in Littleton, because it is true. You know, we get caught up in our own communities and it could be all the same until you reach out by some, it could be, you know, your daughter marries somebody from Mexico who then takes you to this route. There's so many things that you can see if you just open your eyes. And I think that was the perfect way to put it is that we've all got to be willing to have that conversation, willing to connect to that one person and, and Mm. you never know where it's going to take you. So I absolutely love that. Uh, Oh, thank you. It's been a life changer for me. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending some time to share with me what you're working on. I cannot Uh, wait to follow your journey because I think this is going to be like you said, I think it's just the beginning of a movement. I think that you've educated me and I know you've edu- you're going to educate the listeners who are going to learn about something. Like the next time I actually look at a cup of coffee, I'm actually going mm-hmm. to think deeper than just like, okay, oh yes, I have my coffee. You know what I mean? Yeah, and think yeah. about the people that are, are growing it, roasting it, everything, you know, the, the whole gamut. And so I thank you so much for opening my eyes and to teaching me about some of the things that are going around in this world. And so thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Natalie. It's uh, really a pleasure. I appreciate what you do. It's, you get the word out about really important things and you're a catalyst for that as well. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World and thank you NOCO FM for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. 
For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.